Our scripture reading this evening is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 to 50. We're continuing in our study. Um, We did jump ahead a little bit um, to celebrate Easter and talk about some things that were particularly relevant uh, for us to reflect on during that season, but now we're kind of coming back because there's some really amazing things that happen in Mark, and this text is one of them where Jesus sort of teaches us about just how broad His grace is right alongside how severe sin is, and that we have access to both. You know, we have access to the realities of sin, and we are invited to have access to the realities of God's grace, and and Jesus invites us into that. Um, Again, I mentioned this earlier, but it's been a disruptive season. Um, I'm so grateful to Woods Edge for letting us meet here, uh, but it's different than our church. You know, it's like we're staying with really good friends, but we really want, we miss our own bed, you know, now. We miss our own seats now. We miss our own everything. And um, so I'm really, really happy to be here. But I also know if you're feeling what I'm feeling, now we've been doing this more than a couple weeks. It's like, wow, this is real. We're really having to wait. We have this like sense of anticipation and longing. Um, And I mentioned this in the video, but there is a next. So we trust in God. We give thanks for his his uh, good gifts to us, and we continue to cling to Jesus. You know, despite all the things that have gone on, the ministry of God's Word has continued in our church and in your lives, and I'm really grateful for that. So, let me read the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 to 50. Hear the word of the Lord. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop, because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, those who believe in me, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble... Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eyes cause you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. This is the word of the Lord. Aren't you wondering what on earth I'm going to do with this text? Um, you know, you got to remember, Jesus here, um, he is speaking with some pretty powerful language to communicate some very powerful points. And people have misinterpreted this. Um, I'm sure you've heard different ways people have interpreted this text. Um, but I... But I you know, if, if you're going to take away three ideas from kind of what we're, ta- what we're addressing, and don't worry, we're going to walk through each of the verses. Um, in this text, there's a picture of the broad grace of God, the very broad grace of Christ. There's a picture of the severity of sin, meaning like the harshness, the intensity, um, the, the, the um, sort of how, how uh, damaging sin can be, the severity of sin. And then there's a question about how we are accessing both. This question is posed to John. In this text, it's posed to the, the readers, um, us, it's posed to the audience. God's grace is big, sin is severe. Well, how am I accessing both of these things? Okay, so let's jump in. If you look at verse 38, 
Uh, Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Now, what's going on there? John sees someone who's acting kind of like a disciple, right? He's doing some pretty magnificent things. And the disciples who are following Jesus are like, wait, you're not allowed to do that unless you've you know, been authorized by Jesus. And we don't know you, so you probably haven't been. And I'm going to tell Jesus. And he goes and talks to Jesus, and Jesus responds to him. Jesus says, don't stop him. What is going on here? Um, a couple, couple things to consider. One thing to consider is that it's very possible that Jesus knows something about this man who's doing these things that John doesn't know, right? That's a very strong possibility. Don't be surprised. In fact, take a lot of courage in this fact. God is far more aware of what's going on around you than you are. And when you feel like you're not in control, and when you feel like you don't understand things, or when you see things happening that you're like, wait, is this something that I can celebrate or not? Know this, God's got it under control. John is coming to Jesus and saying, hey, Um, I've caught a problem here because he hasn't been authorized and he's doing things in your name and it's kind of working because demons are being cast out. So you might want to step in here. And Jesus responds to him and says, don't stop him. What's happening? John, just maybe, I know more about the situation than you do, right? In this moment, John's actually calling this person to account to Jesus instead of just saying, man, Jesus, can you, you know, what, what is happening in this place? Now, If you kind of make it a modern situation, uh, many of you have done this, even in our own church, to come to me or Kyle and say, hey, can you tell me about this ministry? Uh, Can you tell me about this church? Or you have a friend who has a, who's moving to a new city and you're like, hey, they're going to go to this church. Like, how do I know if that's a church that is pleasing to God? How, How can I go to a church where I know that they're about what God wants them to be about. That, that's, that's kind of what John is asking here. He has some other things going on about authority and about the, the developing of the church. But part of it is, God, is this of, Jesus, is this of you? How can I know if this is of you? And anytime someone asks that question, what I tell them first is, I don't know everything. God does. And then I say, but, you know, anytime we're looking at a ministry or anytime we're looking at a church or anytime we're looking at a particular action that we need to participate in and we're not sure if it's what God wants us to do, there's some things we need to consider. Is it centered on God's ways and God's word? We need to consider that, just like our call to worship earlier. Um, is what we're looking to be part of, does it seem to exhibit humility and kindness and faithfulness? You know, the fruit of the Spirit. Um, is what we're a part of exhibiting a kind of grace expressed towards others and how God treats them? Or, to make it really simple, is this something that it looks like Jesus himself would be excited about? Like, does it image who Jesus is? Now, if John had asked that question, what would his, what would his answer have been? If he would have said, hmm, I'm going to look at this situation and I'm going to see what's happening and see if, by looking at the fruit, if this is something I can celebrate. But what does he do? He doesn't really care about the fruit. He goes straight to Jesus and he says, hey, he's doing this in your name and he's not authorized. That's his number one concern. You know, what I know um, about God's purposes for the church and purposes for Christians is we're meant to be living after God's ways. We're meant to be trusting in Jesus. We're meant to be figuring out who Jesus is more and more and taking a lot of hope and comfort in that and then working out how to express it in other places. The question that John is asking, in some ways, is a critical question. Jesus, this man is doing this in your name, and he's casting out demons, and I don't think he's gotten the special stamp yet. So you need to deal with that. And how does Jesus respond? 
do not stop him. What does he say to him? For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Jesus is inviting John to look and see a broad presence of his grace, meaning a grace in places where John doesn't expect it. That what, God, what Christ is doing is so powerful, it's so big, it's even beyond what John expects. Because in John's mind, the only thing that could be pleasing to God is if only authorized people are doing this certain thing. And Jesus is like, don't stop him. If he's not against us, he's for us. Um, if you see that it's like a drink of water, take it. Like maybe, John, you're not fully aware of every single aspect of what's taking place. You do you, John. Because Jesus turns it on him. And says, let's look at you for a second. John, truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name uh, because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Now, if you're John, you're probably thinking, what does that have to do with my question? Like, well, what? Okay, you know, someone, it, it has to do with you, John, because Jesus is turning this back on him. He's saying, John, I'm the judge, you're not. What you see is this man doing something and demons are leaving people and he's doing it in my name, and you can't celebrate it. What's up with that? Don't stop him. John, don't let your fearful heart prevent you from seeing very, very good things happening right before your eyes. John, darkness is losing its grip. Demons are being cast out. How on earth are you not excited about this? Because John's question wasn't really about the fruit. It really wasn't about the kingdom going forward. It really wasn't about what Jesus was doing. It was about the rules of authorization to endorse certain actions. He's missing it all together. You know, part of what John's struggling with is to understand how gracious Jesus is. Because in John's mind, if this man's doing this, he can't be worthy of love because he's, he's disobeying what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to be authorized before you do this. We read in Paul's word in Romans chapter 5, or God's word, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the paradigm? God doesn't say, let me check on your qualifications first. Let me make sure you got all this stuff straight. Then I'll use you. What does he do? God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John is struggling to see just how big and comprehensive Jesus' work is going to be through people. Where even this man, who John doesn't know, is, he's not able to understand how he could be doing anything pleasing to God. John's struggling with what a lot of us struggle with, what a lot of the church struggles with, this idea of the sort of exclusivity problem that the church has sometimes. Like, who's in and who's out? Like, we're Presbyterians, right? Well, I was raised Baptist. I thought Presbyterians weren't Christians. I know better now. I'm really, really glad about that, right? We struggle with exclusivity. One commentator said this, talking about what Jesus, and what Jesus is doing and why Mark is putting this in the gospel. The point was that all who had any degree of sincerity doing something for or on behalf of Jesus were to be recognized as allies, if not fellow disciples. The lesson for the church today is that tolerance, acceptance, recognition should be extended to other denominations uh, and to persons of other theological persuasions. Sadly, few individual Christians and Christian groups throughout history have followed this teaching of Jesus, and here it is, 
exclusiveness rather than inclusiveness has been the rule. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know you've experienced this. You know you've been part of it. I mean, I've been part of it, trying to figure out, wait, who, who's got it, who doesn't, and how much of not having it will I allow? Jesus has a very different approach. He says, this is my word, this is the standard, cling to this first and above all other things, Right? You know, there are differing theological perspectives, even between like Wood's Edge and Grace Presbyterian Church, and yet we're here together. Why? Because the first order of business is knowing who Jesus is and understanding just how comprehensive His grace is for us. That's the first thing. That's the most important thing. John sees this situation, and rather than going, Jesus, I can't believe it, but somebody I don't even know in your name is pushing back the darkness. He comes and says, Jesus, uh, pay attention. This is not supposed to be happening this way. Do you see the difference? Like there's, a, there's, a, there's an approach that says, I believe God's grace is so big that it enables me to celebrate wherever I see him working, even when I don't always quite understand. The struggle between being exclusive in your understanding of what God is doing and inclusive. Let me give you a couple more examples. Um, no doubt you've heard about what's been going on at our border with migrants coming over. And I was reading an, uh, an article about this, and I'm not debating any of that, you know, wherever you are in that process. We're here to talk about the, the scriptures. But there's a story in um, one of the accounts that they just recorded, I think it was two weeks ago. They found like a, a little bag just over the Rio Grande. And in that bag were a, a set of muddy little toddler shoes, and then there was a little brush, and then there was like a, a small Bible like just right in this little bag. So like no matter what, you have to understand that there are, there are people who love Jesus who are going through this very, very desperate situation. How can we not have some level of compassion? How can we not pray for them? God, please watch over them. Please protect them. I mean, can you imagine being so desperate you have to cross a border? Like how terrifying that would be. Jesus is at work even in the midst of that moment. Like there's a Bible there. The same scriptures you and I are holding. We're sitting right there from someone who came across. And if that feels too far off, maybe this will help a little bit to think about the idea of exclusivity and inclusivity. Um, there was an article by a man named Tom Rayner. He wrote this in November of last year. And he did, he did research with thousands of people who would claim to be unchurched and non-Christian. Okay, So they don't go to church, but they also do not claim to be Christians. And he did all these interviews, and he came up with like seven different ideas or themes from that research, and then he put little quotes with it. And I think it's insightful to us. One of the things people said um, was that they felt like Christians are oftentimes more against things than they are for things. This person said, it just seems to me Christians are mad at the world and mad at each other. They're so negative. They seem unhappy. I have no desire to be like them and stay upset all the time. Well, me neither. I mean, that's not, it doesn't, that's not who Jesus is, and I don't want to be that kind of person. But for whatever reason, some in the church have this reputation or this. Um, I don't see much difference in the way Christians live compared to others. This person said, I really can't tell what a Christian believes I really can't tell what this Christian believes because he doesn't seem much different than other people I know. Or this person. Um, in thinking about uh, Christians not having problems, right? Kind of the happy, clappy Christian version thing. Harriet works in my department. She's one of those Christians who seems to have a mask on. I would respect her more if she didn't put on such an act. I know better. All right? But listen to these. Here's one. The idea that I would like to learn about the Bible from a Christian the Bible really fascinates me, this person said. 
but I don't want to go to a stuffy legalistic church. I really would just like to go to Starbucks. Well, I get that. Starbucks is fun. I can understand if you really don't understand why worship is so significant that eh, we'll do Starbucks. But they're in process. It's okay. This person said this about a Christian inviting them to church. I really would like to visit a church, but I'm not particularly comfortable going by myself, and I'm 32 years old, and no one's ever invited me to go to church. Right here in North America, right here in our own country. You know, if you kind of wonder why it's so important for us to have lots of churches in the woodlands, there are, there are people in the woodlands who have never been invited to come to church, ever. You know, we had this Easter egg hunt last Sunday, and it was so fun. We had lots of pets that we were pet, you know, hanging out with. I don't know if you saw the balloon guy, best balloon artist in the history of all balloon artists. Like, it was incredible. Face painting, great food. Um, and we did that whole event to encourage our people, but also to give access points for you to invite people to come. Like, hey, come be a part of our community. Come experience, like, being among us. Or for people in our community. We had some visitors there who don't come to our church that morning. You know, the church is actually meant to be a place where it's an access point. You know, we're really excited about getting back into our building so we can worship, but also that, so that there can be a readily available access point for people to taste and see that Jesus is good. We want them to feel welcome. You know, I want you to feel welcome to bring your friends and your neighbors. I want you to feel welcome when you come personally. I want people who move into our neighborhood to feel like, hey, this is a place where I'm kind of curious about Christianity. This is accessible. I can come here. That's out there. People who have never, this 32-year-old man, never been invited to church ever. Or this. Um, this, this man said, my wife is threatening to divorce me. I think she means it this time. My neighbor's a Christian. He seems to have it together. I'm going to swallow my pride and ask him for help. How do we respond to that stuff? We respond with the broad graciousness of Christ. There's no sin that God's grace is not better than. There's, there's nothing going on in our lives that God's grace doesn't have power to encourage and sustain us. I don't have all the answers. God's spirit working through his word is able to bring minister to your soul. I do know that that's true. And so we offer that. There's a broad grace of Christ that is available for us by trusting in his cross now. Now we move to this next section. And Jesus moves into the severity of sin. So he starts with this, and then he moves into the severity of sin. Now listen to verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Wow. Like that is intense. Um, you know, we learn that G right there that Jesus is protective of children, right? He cherishes them. He loves those little image bearers that he's made. And it's good for us to remember that they're little image bearers like that when they're two or eight or 18. And maybe they're not really acting like they're a really good image bearer in that moment. Like they are beloved of God. Jesus in this moment is saying, I don't just love children. I cherish them. And then he says, it would be better if someone's going to cause them to stumble, which um, literally the way this uh, is translated, it means to lay an obstacle before. If you were to lay an obstacle before a little one to come to me, it'd be better if a chain was wrapped around your neck and you were thrown into the ocean. Now, Jesus isn't actually encouraging this as a punitive action that we should exercise. It's imagery, and it's real clear, right? You know, as parents... We raise our kids, part of how we encourage them in their faith is we make them come to church as much as we can. 
We want them to hear about God's Word. We want them to sing our songs. We want them to memorize our catechisms. We want them to, to hear the narrative of all narratives that Jesus loves them. Even when everything else in the world is pushing against you, there is a God who beat death back for you. There's one who pushes back darkness for you, no matter how dark it gets or how difficult it gets. There is one who is your champion. We want our kids, kids, we want you to know that. That there is one who loves you like that. And Jesus wants us to know that. He wants us to, you know, as, as parents, of course, you're primarily responsible for taking care of your children, right? Deuteronomy 6 reminds us of this, you know, uh, to impress these things on the hearts of your children. But as a church, we take vows also to encourage and to, um, you know, be a part of parents' lives as they seek to nurture the faith of their children. Like, we, we get it. Jesus loves children. He wants us to be gracious to them. Um, it gets a little more personal when you think about as a parent, when you fail your kids, <clears throat> and I've done this. Um, you know, I, I'm not always gracious with my kids. I'm not always forgiving. I, I have falsely accused my kids before. And what I try to do when I realize that's happened is go to them and say, hey, okay, I was not being gracious here. I'm sorry I'm being too high pressure code, not merciful to you. And you know what? I did really think you were guilty and you weren't, and I'm sorry, right? That's a pathway to restoration and renewal. We confess our sins. God forgives us. Our kids may struggle to forgive us. That's okay. We need to be leading in this idea of not preventing them from seeing Jesus for who he is in our lives. You know, the, 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 the most discipleship that you can have with your kids is when they're living at your house. It's every day. To love them as God has loved us. And when you fail them, not if, every parent fails their kids. But when you fail them, to say, look, you're right. I made a mistake here and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. God's grace is big enough for me and it's big enough for you. And I still expect you to clean your room or what, you know, whatever the issue was in the moment. Jesus makes it clear. No one's perfect, but this is severe. It, not leaning into making it right with our kids. Not leaning into protecting children. Not leaning into praying for our kids. It, it, it's in this category of sin. And the reason sin is so dangerous is because it's not controllable and it has consequences beyond our expectations. Sin is anything that's out of sync with God's ways and God's purposes, anything at all. When we're in sync with God, it's leading to life. When we're out of sync with God, it is leading to something else and you are not going to like it as we see further in this text. Look at verse 43. This is where it gets really weird. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands uh, to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. Uh, it's better for you to enter, the, enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eyes cause you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now, what is going on there? Again, there's some imagery here. There's an idea here that sin is something that it is not um, benign. It's not just like quiet. It's not something that you can kind of control and keep in a certain place. What, part of what Jesus is exhibiting to us here is that if there is something in our lives that is continuing to draw us away from who God is, it, it needs to be abandoned, whatever it is. Because to, to move with that thing towards its goal is going to lead to something that we can barely imagine, but it's going to be horrible. It's going to lead to death. If we will move towards the Lord, it leads to life. But if we move towards things that don't give life, it destroys us. You know, when I was 
um, little, one of the hardest things for me to learn, probably when I was in kindergarten, first grade, was just to be completely honest about everything. I remember my parents asking me questions, and I would like try to get away from it, you know, like, did you take your brother's candy? Um, you know, did you put that uh, safety pin in your friend's seat at school that stuck into him? Like, all these, these are real stories. Did you really stand on your desk and swing your belt around your head? Um, and, and I wouldn't admit it because I was so afraid that the truth of what I had done would be my new identity that I'd rather lie about it than experience any shame. I just, I couldn't do it. And I would cry. I just can't tell the truth. And they're like, if you tell the truth, we can forgive you and we can move on. If you don't tell us, we're just kind of stuck here. And that's what sin does. You know, if we pretend like there's nothing wrong with us, that there's no sin in us, we actually get stuck in the lie. But if we confess our sins, God actually moves us towards something better. And not only that, but Jesus himself owns the shame that we deserve. Jesus goes on. Everyone will be salted with fire. Everyone will be salted with fire. That's imagery again. He's not really saying that we're going to have, you know, meteorites the size of salt that comes down and burns us. It's imagery. The idea of being salted with fire is the idea of being purified, of being known, of seeing the truth, the truth of the severity of sin and the truth of the, of the, the greatness of God's grace. You know, during the great snowpocalypse back in February, our pool got damaged and our filter wouldn't work right. And so I went to try to work on it. And um, we were working on it and I noticed the pressure was kind of high, but I was like, eh, it's whatever. And then the pool guy came out and he goes, you know, your pressure's so high on this, can, this is bad. I go, how bad is it? He goes, this thing can blow up in your face. And I'm just thinking, hmm, Jamie and I, for the past couple of days, have been within like feet of this thing, looking around, trying to fix it. At any moment, it could have blown up in our face. We had no idea that it was that dangerous. That is exactly what sin is like. You think you have it under control, or you think you can kind of twist this truth, or you can kind of, you know, gossip a little bit over here, or you can, um, you know, tell this lie, or whatever it might be for you. But actually, it's like a sleeping dragon. You know, if you find a dragon sleeping, you can wake it up, you can feed it, it's not probably going to be a good idea, though. It can blow fire. It can eat you. It can kick you around. It can do all sorts of things. Sin is like that. It's a sleeping dragon. And Jesus is saying here, if there's anything in your heart you're discovering is leading you away from me, treat it for what it is. It's a death bringer. Move towards life. You know, in verse 49, when it says everyone will be salted with fire, it's kind of like it's the answer to people who say, well, I basically don't have any sin in me. Yeah, you do. No one lives up to their own standards, much less God's standards. And God is inviting us to be honest in this moment and to say, okay, Lord, I want to move toward life. I want to move towards you. I want to be a part of doing things in your name. I want to be a part of your kingdom. Or leading into things that ultimately destroy us. It's an invitation for us to be part of something better. And then in verse 15, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. You know, knowing that God has a grace for us that is broad enables us not just to be forgiven, but to be a forgiving people. You know, if, if I, I, I got to think, if John would have really understood and kind of taken a step back and seen that there was someone who was pushing back the darkness, that really, if his interest was in Jesus' kingdom, he wouldn't be able to help but celebrate that. 
But he couldn't because he was caught up on the rules. It's got to be this way. And Jesus is saying, no, don't stop him. For one who does a miracle in my name can can in the next moment, they can't say anything about me. If they're really doing it in my name, this is from me. It's a kingdom purpose. It's going to be good. Be part of what I am doing. Salt is good. He says, if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Again, that's just the idea of, you know, you can't like make salty good again. You can't make salt good again, right? He goes, so have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. You know, uh, the church, when we meet like this, God's spirit is actually working in such a way that it's kind of like salt. It's in the process of maturing us. It's in the process of flavoring us towards God's grace. It's in the process of keeping us bound together. And the result of us doing that is to be at peace with each other. So in the beginning of this, John's pointing out there's a reason for us to not approve of this man. And Jesus ends it by saying, be at peace with each other. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is saying, I am actually leading us toward peace through my grace. A grace that forgives. You know, a grace that restores. A grace that renews and sustains. And don't forget, this is coming after what we just heard in Mark chapter 9, verse 7, in the transfiguration. So just 30 verses earlier, the Father speaks over the Son with Peter, James, and John and says, this is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. If you want to find life, if you want to be part of what I'm doing, listen to him. This is my son in whom I love. Listen to him. And tonight, as we read the scriptures and we think about these things, God is making the same invitation to us to hear God's word, to take it in, to ask him to maybe show us where we're struggling, to show us where our hearts are distracted, um, to to show us where we're not really looking to him to be the king of our hearts in, in every way, because that's what leads us to life. Um, you know, my prayer for us is that as we kind of reflect on these things, we, we, we look around us and, and we, like in a situation with John, for him it's casting out demons. I really don't, I hope you don't see a lot of that going on around your house. But, but to look around our community even and see good things that are going on and learn ways to celebrate the good things that are happening. Because God is a good God. And he's gracious And he's doing things beyond our expectations and beyond our understanding. All through his word, very clearly, telling us the direction to go, telling us how to follow. But he's actively at work, and we are part of that. All right? Let me pray for us as we approach the table. Jesus, we do give you thanks thanks that you are the teacher, that you are the one who is gracious to us, that you're the one who knows our hearts. And that even tonight, as we think about how broad your grace is, that brings us great encouragement and hope. But we also think about the severity of sin, that sin, anything that is drawing us away from you, is something that we would ask your spirit would open our eyes to so that we can move away from things that bring death and move toward what brings life, and all by faith in your promises to us. Would you make us a teachable people, a people who are gracious to each other, a people who are seeking to bring peace into one another's lives because you're, you're one who is leading us to that path for your people and for your kingdom. We ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.